Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Liberty and the Law, the podcast series that examines the critical elements of a strong legal defense in criminal cases. Join respected attorney James Dore for this lively discussion on the rights of criminal defendants and the important role defense attorneys play in our legal system. In, in today's discussion, we're going to talk about one of the more controversial and frequently referenced pieces of law as we talk about uh, stop and frisk laws and what are referred to as Terry stops. Hi, everyone. This is Jim Mitchell. And uh, as always, I've kind of just glossed over the topic there. We're going to get into detail as I'm joined by Lavelle Law Attorney James Dorr. Mr. Dorr is a respected criminal defense attorney. He shares his extensive knowledge of the entire process and judicial system with us each month. Um, So, Jim, uh, good afternoon. I really appreciate you being here because this one's going to be interesting. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate that, and I, and I agree. This is an interesting topic. So I, I used that term, Terry Stops, uh, a moment ago. It's uh, uh, something that people may be familiar with, but can you explain what that term stands for? Sure. It, well, it's a concept in the law that it's very familiar. Uh, very, it's used uh, um, when discussing searches and seizures, um, and, it, and it stems from a Supreme Court case in 1968, Terry v. Ohio. And actually, Jim, in getting ready for this show, I pulled out my Cases in Constitutional Law, 7th edition, from Robert Cushman to look at the case, because I, this I studied back in, in 1989, this book, is I was in college when I studied this case for the first time. And, um, yeah, it's, this, is, this is a landmark decision. So when uh, certain um, uh, stops uh, conducted by the police, an investiga- investigatory uh, stop, they're called Terry Stops, and it's based on the Supreme Court case. So take us through the case a little bit. I'm sure uh, you did quite well in that course, and you've kept this front of mind. So uh, what, what took place in Terry versus Ohio? Well, I was a young, young, not even wanting to be a lawyer at the time when I did this case for the first time. I was a young rhino, so this goes way back for me. But uh, <laughs> no, the, case, uh, the, 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 facts, the facts are interesting here. Um, an officer, a uh, detective with, I think, 39 years of experience on, uh, on the Cleveland Police Department at the time, observed a... Uh, uh, you know, a couple guys on the street, and he and he called his attention uh, their behavior. And, I, and I'm trying to look at where the words is. It says, um, well, "I'll get over to that in, in a second. But the the, the 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 he he basically he was alerted by the presence of these two men. Um, they were standing on a street corner, and what happened was one of the men, Terry, for you first notice, would walk down the block, look inside, stop, look inside a store, walk down a little bit further, come back, did it again, look in the same store go back to his partner on the corner. Each of these guys did this five, six times, Walked, did the same thing, walked down the block, looked in the store. So the officer thought, now these guys are probably casing this joint, right, because he was assigned mm-hmm. to look for shoplifters and pickpockets. Um, so his, his words were, now in this case, when I looked over, they didn't look right to me at the time. So that's what he, when he started watching this. So that's, that's his, mm-hmm. um, how he could articulate why he first started observing. Um, eventually a third person showed up. Uh, did the same thing, uh, walked down, checked out the store, walked back, and then, then he left and circled around the block and kind of came in front of the same store. So when these two men left again, they walked down to the store, and at this point the officers thought it was ripe to, to, make, to approach these gentlemen because he thought they may be armed. They were casing the joint for a possible stick-up is what he, what he, uh, how he described it at the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. So then, he, when the so officer approached, yeah. he asked for a, good. No, he. So the officer approached right, the so, three men, 
Uh-huh. Go ahead. I, I'm sorry. No, I, and, and so wanted to follow up there. So he approached them. What did he then, you know, have conversation with them? What, what steps did he take? Well, he walked up and started, you know, asking for an identification. Who are you guys? Because he didn't recognize anybody. He wasn't acquainted with them in the area. And one of the men mumbled something in response. And at that point, the officer grabbed Terry, the defendant in the case, mm-hmm. spun him around, faced him against the wall, or just facing the other two, and gave him a quick pat down on the outside of his clothing and felt what he believed to be was a, was a pistol in his overcoat. At that point, he brought all three gentlemen into the store, which is kind of funny. Into the store, they were thinking about robbing. <laughs> then had, had Terry take off his coat, found the weapon, searched the other two men, found another pistol, and then the third gentleman, his name, last name was Katz. He had nothing on him, so he was just released on the spot. And he asked the owner of the store to go ahead and call the police and call a paddy wagon for the arrest. So that's how the, the arrest happened and what it was based on, just the, those, those limited set of facts. Okay. So having that set of circumstances, this, I believe, all made it all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, what, what was the contention on behalf of, of the plaintiff, and what did the court find? Well, the, the, the defense attorney, he did what we talked about in the past. The defense attorney files a motion to suppress evidence. It was denied, so the, he was, uh, Terry was convicted in the, in, the, uh, in the lower level court. And it made it up to the Supreme Court in deciding whether or not, under the Fourth Amendment, that this search and seizure whether it was reasonable under the Constitution. Now, calling it a stop and frisk doesn't change the fact that it is a search and seizure. The the seizure is the stop, and the frisk is the search. So just giving it other names doesn't take it out of that Fourth Amendment reasonableness analysis that we've done, you know, we've talked about in other mm-hmm. podcasts. Um, so the 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 uh, Supreme Court did did look at that in terms of a Fourth Amendment analysis. Was this reasonable under the circumstances? Because the officer did not have a warrant, and we know that warrantless searches and seizures are per se unreasonable, right? So mm-hmm. they, the the Supreme Court looked at this and determined is this appropriate? Now there's certain things that they balanced out, like the officer searching for weapons, you know, protection of the officer. That was something they thought was an important matter. Um, so they, when the balancing of interest that 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 came in, and I, I want to kind of circle back because you mentioned stop and frisk. Um, we hear that perhaps a little more recently um, in in certain cities. It's it's uh, been uh, a very central part to uh, to a lot of uh, social rights questions. Is this in fact the same as stop and frisk? Or are there any differences between a Terry stop and stop and frisk? Uh, Terry stop is where the, the term stop and frisk does come from. That, that they're synonymous. It comes from this court or from this decision. Okay. Um, in, in discussion, in, 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 this is how it entered in the Supreme Court law. Yes. So they and, are they are synonymous. Mm-hmm. But and and did the but, uh, Supreme Court then is is this a case that's been used as a as sort of a point of reference for for subsequent cases? It seems to be one that has uh, seems to carry a lot of weight. It's a landmark decision, but like any other Supreme Court case, there are exceptions, and it, and it does get um, litigated in the lower courts uh, as the years go on. So it, it, you have a, a, a distinct set of facts in this case that could be a little bit different for the next case. So you know, they, it all became, it all had to get litigated in, in what what this when it's applied to other fact patterns concerning other defendants in other states, mm-hmm. right? But this is a Supreme Court case. It's applicable to all the states. This sets the bare minimum. 
um, you know, a state such as Illinois can decide they want to grant more protections than than allowed here, but they can't, mm-hmm. for, you know, prescribe less than this base amount. So, you know, what they are allowing here is uh, reasonable suspicion rather than probable cause. So, uh, the officer with with reasonable suspicion, um, which is defined basically as less than probable cause, but more than a hunch. So, and I've had that where where officers had a hunch. I had an officer on the stand testify that his spidey senses were tingling at one time. <laughs> well, that was inarticulable. <laughs> he could not articulate what he, why he was making the stop or what he was concerned about. You know, what was a criminal activity that you're concerned about, or why did you believe this suspect was armed and dangerous, and why was he armed and dangerous to you? So that mm-hmm. you know, that's that there's different things. It cannot be just a hunch. It's got to be you know, an articulated uh, basis. And like and I, said, I, I, I did cut the, you off. Yeah, I did cut you off there a little no. bit in terms of what the Supreme Court decided. That ultimately, was was you know Terry's claim upheld and and oh. charges dropped gotcha. and reversed. Gotcha. No, ultimately the Supreme Court sided with the officer, and they decided that okay. this search was reasonable under the circumstances, and it was limited to the facts. Like I said, it was a pat down search over the outer clothing. Uh, it's a quick surface search, as they called it, um, to see if. Uh, if you have a reasonable belief that the suspect is armed and may be armed and potentially dangerous or presently dangerous, you know, and you believe he's committed, is about to commit, or uh, has, is, or about to commit a crime. So one of those three. So you need all those together to justify the search and for have it to, to be uh, deemed reasonable uh, under the case analysis. Um, well, I'm talking with Lavelle Law Attorney James Dorr today. We're taking a good look at uh, Terry Stops and how that uh, landmark piece of law is used in other cases. Uh, James shares his time with us each month here on Liberty and the Law and also shares his knowledge for all of you through articles and videos that can be found at LavelleLaw.com. Um, and, um, you know, I was looking at notes from, from a previous podcast with you and came across a question that, that I think led to this discussion today, and I think you just referenced it, which is the difference between reasonable suspicion and probable cause. Now, are those actual legal terms? Um, Can you kind of delineate for us a little bit the difference there again? Absolutely legal terms. They are fleshed out in these these cases. Um, Reasonable suspicion... Yeah, and I, this is, these are little, some tough terms to, to define precisely, but um, you know, probable cause is a reasonable belief, uh, uh, facts that a reasonable person would lead to believe that a crime has been committed. So uh, it's, there's, there's a, a belief in, the, in the, the actual that a crime has been committed, whereas reasonable suspicion, they're allowing a pat-down just because the officer has reasonable suspicion or you know, articulated suspicion that that person is, you know, has committed, is about to commit, you know, or, or is committing a crime, and may be armed and potentially dangerous, then it allows a quick search. And the problem with that is over the years that search has been expanded, and as we know from our previous podcast, when a judge goes to issue a warrant, the judge can only issue a warrant based on probable cause. A judge cannot issue a warrant based on reasonable suspicion, right? So mm-hmm. the dissenting opinion on this by Justice Douglas, which I think is really important, said, we hold today that the police have greater authority to make a seizure and conduct a search than the judge has to authorize such action. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great summary of what was allowed. You know, this, if, if, some, if the same officer went to get a warrant based on the same facts, presumably it would be denied. 
but because of the, the circumstances with the um, potential danger to the officer and it's kind of a fluid situation, they're allowing that officer to conduct that search under these circumstances, and the Supreme Court has deemed that it is reasonable, and so that leads eventually to the conviction in this case. Now, I'm going to, as I often do, ask you a question here that will probably lead to a whole other conversation. We've got a couple minutes left, but um, yeah. does this legal challenge, I mean, is there a difference between an officer, as happened in this case, a kind of a beat patrolman stopping a person um, and uh, under reasonable suspicion, and what other people are concerned with, which is sort of a systematic plan, a, a comprehensive police uh, philosophy across an entire community that says we're going to stop people based on certain behaviors or characteristics. Um, it, it, I guess there's kind of a big leap from one to the other. It's 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 a jurisdiction is trying to follow this case law and develop a, a, pre, a procedure for officers to initiate these stops. Um, it, you can't lose sight of the fact that it has to be an articulated basis by the officer. It can't be just some mere hunch. It can't be a systematic, you know, searching of people just because they want to go out and search people. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it has to be reasonable under the circumstances. We always come back to reasonableness in the Fourth Amendment analysis. But the problem with some of the, 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 the search and stop and frisk, you know, say in New York or some other areas that they have that, you know, they, they're, they're lacking in some of that articulable basis for that. You know, they'll say, well, there's a couple guys hanging on a street corner. They'll roll up, you know, hey, let's see some IDs, start patting people down. You know, then it starts crossing that line and, into being unreasonable because mm-hmm. it, it lacks that, that, that individual suspicion that, that we had, such as in Terry versus Ohio. Well, um, actually, one of, the, one of the you know real interesting cases to talk about, and I want to thank James Dorff for spending some time with us to do that today. Um, always great conversation. He provides exceptional guidance on, on rulings of this nature and helps us uh, understand the law a little bit better, and glad you can always go back and reference those uh, textbooks he keeps handy as well. Um, l- let me invite you to learn more about him and the practice and service he provides by visiting LavelleLaw.com or uh, just giving a call at 847-705-7555 for any really uh, criminal matter of any sort, uh, defense work that might need to be done, uh, great uh, resource for you. So uh, Lavelle Law, just reach out to James Dorr, and certainly thank everyone for listening today. We'll look forward to another conversation as we kind of follow through on some of these things uh, each and every month here on Liberty and the Law.